Welcome to the Truth Across Time podcast. I'm your host, Sheila Farmer. As a lifelong student of history and English, I enjoy learning about the cultures, customs, and lifestyles in the Bible. Please join me as we explore the fascinating world of biblical events and the people involved. You'll see that the people of the Bible had concerns, triumphs and tragedies, joys and sorrows, successes and failures, not too different from our own. But because the Bible is God's Word, we can learn spiritual, eternal truths while looking at those people. Now let's go on this adventure and explore the truths that cross the limits of time and location. While we continue our Faith in Action series, I want to make one quick clarification for the audience. This week's podcast addresses some adult topics. We'll not engage in those topics past a a mention, but I feel it's important to make this clarification just in case some little ears are listening. So, we're going back to the Old Testament to look at a very unlikely candidate for heroin status. Her story is dramatic and powerful. It's a beautiful testament of God's redemption. Our story begins as the children of Israel approach Canaan, their promised land. I'll address this later, but prior to the conquest of the land by the Hebrews, Canaan was inhabited by a conglomeration of pagan cultures, generally harsh and pretty tough people. Many professions, although they were very demeaning by today's standards, were openly practiced. One of those was prostitution, which has been called the world's oldest profession. That's probably not a true statement, just a well-known one. It's much more likely that the professions of farmer, shepherd, hunter, warrior, and so on were the first professions. Nevertheless, prostitution has existed for about as long as human communities of any size have existed. That's not a defense of prostitution, just a fact. In many ancient civilizations, prostitution developed as part of pagan religious worship. Throughout most countries, there were temples erected for the worship of many gods. That's God with a little g. For example, in ancient Sumer and later in Babylon, there were so-called sacred marriage rites performed at temples of Ishtar. These involved acts simulating the marriage act between Ishtar, also known as Inanna, represented by a high priestess, and the king of the city, or with the high priest. They thought that the fertility of the land was released by this sexual act, and the country was assured of good crops and healthy, productive herds of animals. A form of this ritual, somewhat different in some details, But basically the same procedure was practiced later in Greece and in other civilizations. For now, it's sufficient to know that there were many sexual rituals and rites practiced as an important part of the pagan religions of the ancient world. It's also true of not-so-ancient cultures, but we don't have time to delve into that today. Besides being part of their pagan worship, prostitution was also practiced as the more ordinary thing that we in modern times know about, simply a way to make money in a very immoral way. 
After the Hebrew people had been set free from 400 years of bondage in Egypt, they set out for the promised land, the land that God had promised to them. However, due to so much grumbling and disobedience and lack of faith in God's word to them, they wound up roaming in the wilderness for about 40 years, and none of that generation was allowed by God to enter the promised land except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. When Moses died, leadership of the Hebrew people passed to Joshua. The book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. The land of Canaan, and by the way, some people pronounce it as Canaan, was inhabited by a variety of people, the Hivites, the Gergesites, the Jebusites, Amorites, Hittites, and several others. These people groups had to be conquered and driven out in order for the Hebrews to possess the land that God had given them. This promise had actually been made centuries earlier. The earth belongs to God and he can give it to whomever he pleases. Jericho was the first city that had to be conquered. Jericho is a very old city. It has been inhabited for hundreds, maybe thousands of years at this point. It was a wealthy city, sophisticated, strongly fortified. It was surrounded not just by one wall. It had two strong walls to protect the city against attackers and invaders. Joshua chapter 2 says that Joshua sent two men into Jericho as spies. They were to gather intelligence about the city and report back to him. Approximate numbers of troops in the city, the main streets, the readiness of the population and the troops to resist, all the military kinds of intelligence that Joshua would need. Remember, God hadn't yet told him how he was going to give them victory against this strong, fortified city. God chose a unique, totally unexpected, but spectacularly miraculous way to deliver the city into the Hebrews' hands. You can read about this in chapters 3 through 6 of Joshua. It's one of the most remarkable events in the Bible. Stories have been written about it and movies made a miraculous demonstration of God's power. So, back to the two spies that Joshua sent into Jericho. Let's read Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. 
Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And it happened as the gate, that's the city gate, was being shut when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went to, I don't know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. As soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof again and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house, and give me a true token, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. I'll summarize the rest of the story in the interest of time. The men agreed to her request. They said that when they, the Hebrews, had taken the city, that she and all of her relatives who were with her would be spared. They told her to hang a scarlet thread in her window so that they could identify her and her household when they overtook the city. There's a deep and rich lesson in that scarlet thread, but it would take some time to explore. So suffice it to say for now that it's a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus that would save so many in ages to come. Maybe we'll revisit this and explore that particular subject in another podcast. Rahab let the spies down over the city wall by a rope. She told them to hide in the mountains for three days until the men who pursued them would give up and return to Jericho. In chapter 6 of Joshua, we learn that Jericho fell to the Hebrews by God's power and miraculous intervention, and the Hebrews kept their word to Rahab. They brought her and all her household out when they entered the city and spared them from the destruction that they poured out on Jericho. This is a complex and multifaceted story, but today I want to focus just on Rahab. Scripture says she was a harlot, a prostitute. It's doubtful that she was one of the women who participated in ritual, pagan temple, sexual practices. But we honestly just aren't sure because the Bible doesn't say. She may also have been an innkeeper. It's possible the spies went there because they knew that men gathered there and they could perhaps learn much of what they needed to know once they had slipped into the city to spy. 
it wouldn't have been unusual for spies to meet at a brothel or an inn to gather intelligence. The Bible is silent on a lot of the details, but it's a safe assumption that they knew where to go once they had gotten inside the city because Jericho was big. But my point today is this, a harlot, one who who would have been looked on as the dregs of society, was used to help the Hebrews, and she showed great faith and bravery in doing so. How did she show great faith? Verse 10 and 11 of Joshua chapter 2 says that she knew that God had miraculously blessed them and was going to give them victory. The Hebrews' deliverance from Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and the other miracles were known throughout that part of the world. These were not secret things. When the Hebrews, or Israelites, came near Jericho, the people in that city knew that something was up and they were afraid. In verse 11, Rahab clearly stated that the Lord is your God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She had clearly accepted that the God of the Hebrews was supreme and that he was going to give them victory. She risked her life to protect these two spies, and she misdirected the Jericho officials or soldiers in order to help them escape. She blessed God's chosen people, and in return, God blessed her and all her household, including her relatives. There are many extraordinary aspects to this story, but this is one that blows me away. Rahab is an ancestor of Jesus in his human lineage. Again, a lot of the details are missing, but we know this. Rahab married a man named Salmon, and their son was Boaz, Yes, the Boaz who married Ruth. Rahab was King David's great-great-grandmother. Jesus was the 32nd generation from Rahab. Doesn't it strike you as crazy that God allowed an ex-harlot to be in Jesus' human lineage? But how like him, though? He takes what man messes up. He takes the lowly, seemingly unfit people of the world, and if they show faith in him, he can use them for great things. Think about it. A harlot, a prostitute who was on the lowest of the low as far as society was concerned, an immoral woman, has a God-given opportunity to change things, and she runs with it. She affirmed the superiority of and the power of the true and living God. She blessed his people and his purpose in the way that she could. And look what God did with her. She's mentioned by name in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 as being one of Jesus' ancestors. She's also mentioned in the 11th chapter of Hebrews verse 31. This is what people call the Faith Hall of Fame. She was used as an example of great faith. Our God is a miracle worker. He is supreme in power, he is good, and he is merciful. He can take the worst people and make something wonderful of them if they'll only let him. 
how privileged we who know Jesus as Lord and Savior are. We can take the message of our great and glorious God to the world. The next time any of us think that someone is a lost cause, let us remember Rahab and think about what God can accomplish through someone who simply responds to him in faith. Please join me on my next podcast as we study more Truth Across Time. I hope this podcast encourages you to develop a closer relationship with Jesus. But if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, I pray you will ask Him to be the Lord of your life today. God bless. See you next week.